So I just want to welcome you again. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for uh, coming here into my home. And thank you for allowing me in, in your home. Um, I want to thank our worship team and our tech team for always serving um, so faithfully. You know, we did not plan on being here today. Um, as, as most of you may know, uh, we got some news this week that was, uh, that was quite challenging, I'll be honest. And, uh, and to be frank with you, there's just absolutely nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that we can do about it um, in terms of the external circumstances. And just for those who may not know, what I'm referring to is we got word that the boiler system uh, that, that runs and controls the heat in the Hope Center died, completely died. Like, there's no repairing, there's no trying to fix it. Those things need to be uh, taken out the building and trashed, and they need to be replaced. And it's, it's an extremely expensive process. And, uh, you know, it's not just us that are impacted by this. The building shares the boiler system and the HVAC, HVAC system or the heating system with the school that is next door, Joy Preparatory Academy. So our hearts are going out for the, for the students in the, that school. Our hearts are going out for the, the staff that, that, that are serving those kids and the reality that virtual learning has been a challenge for our students across the city and now they're having to learn from home with all kind of other distractions and, and you know, the digital divide is a real thing in, in some of our communities, you know, so having, you know, tech issues and all of that and uh, honestly, I'm less concerned about how we're going to hold service and more concerned about what can we do to help those children? What can we do to help, um, you know, those in that neighborhood that we feel that God has called us to? You know, so, and, and the reality is, it, you know, as we start this series, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. And I just love how Holy Spirit has a way, y'all, of divinely orchestrating the journey to get us right where he wants us. Sometimes that's physical. Sometimes, though, it is a mentality. Sometimes it is how we are thinking about a certain thing. And I'll be the first to acknowledge, um, you know, we can get sometimes a little too caught up in just the way we like to do things. And I'm not saying the way that we like to do things is inherently wrong necessarily, but sometimes, sometimes, even our familiarity, even our faithful service to what is familiar to us can get in the way. And sometimes it can hinder us from hearing God and from seeing how Holy Spirit wants to use us, how Holy Spirit is leading us even. Sometimes it can even become a distraction. That's right. Sometimes, the, sometimes just the normal thing to do becomes a distraction. And we have a tendency as humans to kind of shift to our default mode. And this is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do. You know, you can even become that way in how you pursue God, even in your prayer, and even in your, you know, your times of prayer. There's nothing wrong with having a, a set time or a set place. I would encourage those things. But never allow those things to, to, to steer you or to become so concrete in your heart and in your mind that we... We, we lose a sense of, of leadership from the Holy Spirit. We, we stop hearing his voice. We stop listening to how he may be leading us at any given moment. So what I'm doing is, yes, I'm blaming all this on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 
I'm putting it on him. And I think he can handle it. And what I'm sensing, y'all, as I pray about this, and it's, it's, it's not just, Lord, help us find his face. It is the burden of the ministry that he's called us to and what is on the other side of our commitment and our devotion. The building will come. Hey, we praise God. We prayerfully ask for the resources, to, whether it comes through us, comes through the Hope Center, or otherwise to get the build, get the boilers repaired, get the boilers fixed. We want that. We we almost we expect God to move in that way. But guess what? It may not happen that way. Who knows? We want to go back, but let's. What happens if we don't ever end up going back to that building? What happens then? And what we cannot allow, what we will not allow, is for our faith to be rocked. Our hope to be shipwrecked, so to speak, because we thought that this was happening. Man, we just had a great state of the church meeting, address, and we talked through some of the vision for these years, and we ran some of the demographics for the 48238 zip code. And now what? <laughs> and now you may tell me that we may actually be going to another zip code, Holy Spirit. What is this? <laughs> what is this journey that you have us on? And we've been saying it since we started this ministry by the, by the grace of God. That this is the greatest adventure. This indeed is the greatest adventure. And this is not about a, 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 a slick church marketing statement as a, as a, as a mission uh, objective. This ain't about that. This is about how we've been called to live our lives. How you've been called to live your life on the greatest adventure. Seeking him serving him, and as we listen to him, we obey. We have this sense of sickness. He speaks, we go. He speaks, we go. He's speaking, we, we're listening, we're adjusting, and we're going. And what, what he's long, longing to do with us as believers family, this isn't unique to Detroit Church. I believe this is the call to the people of God. Once we are, are called Right? Many are called, few are chosen. Then we're, there's this sense of, of, of election, of this deeper moving into what God has for us. There's this sense of us being chosen. And then once we're chosen, we're commissioned. Right? Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. He commissions them. He deploys them. So the faith that we have is not one just to help us get intellectually fat or spiritually fat sitting on the bench, sitting on the side. Reading a bunch of books, having a great worship time amongst ourselves, but never going out and taking this gospel out. No, we're called, then we are chosen, then we are commissioned. And I pray that it is through your obedience, through you paying attention to the way the Holy Spirit is, is shaping things up along your journey, that you go from being called, chosen, commissioned to being convinced. See, this is why I believe that the apostles... And the early writers of the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, as we, we read through the book of James back in uh, October 2021. This is why they can write with such conviction, because they were convinced. They knew what, what, what they were. They knew who they were. And they knew the power of the gospel, the power of the, of the resurrected Christ, what that did for them. And our prayer is that you too would experience that transformation. 
that because of God at work in your life, doesn't mean that things are always a bed of roses, right? But you are seeing the fruit of the, the gospel and the heart transformation and the life that is, is totally surrendered to him. And sometimes that looks like an open door, sometimes it looks like a closed door. But you're seeing that, and it is that that is transforming you, and it is that that is fueling the testimony that God wants to use our lives for. He's called us to be his witnesses. So my prayer is that as we start this new series today, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians, and the series is called Born to Die. Yeah, Born to Die. Come on, just let that resonate a little bit. Somebody just, just say that for a minute. Born to die. Born to die. Now, this series, I believe, prayerfully, by the Spirit of God, is going to be very disruptive for us. I think it's going to disrupt some of the familiar behavior patterns and thinking patterns that we have about ourselves, that we have about our lives, that we have about the kingdom of God, administrated by the church of God in the earth. It's going to disrupt it. It's going to tear down some of the, the idols and the, the man-made ideals, so to speak, that we have about how church should be done or how the life of a Christian should look. This book really is about us recognizing that we are not citizens of Detroit or America or even of earth, but we are citizens of heaven, y'all. Let's go. Let's go. We're citizens of heaven, which means we have a higher constitution. We abide by a higher creed. It means we have a different level of, of governance. We don't move, and the ebb and flow of our lives is not dictated to only by the affairs of this life. Things that are happening on this side of eternity. No ma'am, no sir. No sir. We're citizens of a higher kingdom. So we're going to dig into that. But ultimately what that is about for us is it's about maturing in the faith. I pray today and through the next three months or so that we are people coming to him with open hearts, with a radical level of receptivity to what he's saying, but that we are taking steps going from the elementary things, right, to the mature things that God has called us to walk into and that God expects from us as his people, the people of God. So this idea of born to die, we're going to unpack that. We're going to, we're going to unpack what... What that means and what the call is for us as the children of God. Today, I'm going to take a slow kind of approach and set up this series. I'm going to set it up a little bit. We're going to be here, like I said, for, for three months and we don't run a rush it. And uh, we want to give the appropriate time uh, both to the scripture, both to the text, the written text, and what we believe Holy Spirit uh, wants to communicate to us through this. So meet me at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And it reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you in peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just acknowledge there's even a lot there that I can unpack. I'm going to save some of that for next week. But I want to use today to almost set up the series. You know, sometimes you read a book and the book not only has an introduction, but it also has a forward. Right. This is almost like a forward slash introduction to this series. Next verse, verse three, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Again, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, pay attention to that word joy there. This word joy is used 17 different times in this book. Many commentators and those who have studied this over the, the centuries really refer to this book as an epistle of joy. It's one of the main things here in this epistle. We know that Galatians 5, 22 uh, and 23 refers to joy not just as a mood. It's a fruit or a product of a person. Holy Spirit. So you don't just get this because you wake up one day and the sun is shining. No. This is something the Holy Spirit produces in us as his people. Right? It takes a mature believer, though, to walk into a messed up situation where the sun ain't shining, let's say. Let's say it's real gloomy and cloudy. Let's say there's trouble and peril all around. And to have joy in that situation? Mmm. Yeah, that takes the Holy Spirit to produce that, right? So Paul is saying, he says, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy. As Paul is writing this letter, he's under arrest. He's under arrest. He's in, actually in house arrest, and he's there in Rome in house arrest. It's been a couple of years, and he's writing with this deep sense of, of gratitude to this church that the Lord used him to launch used him to plant just 10 years prior. Verse 5 says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's kind of spend most of our time today talking about what Paul means when he says, from the first day until now. I'm going to give you a little background on the city of Philippi. Philippi is located 10 miles inland from its harbor city. We do have a map that we can throw on the screen there. Located about 10 miles inland from its harbor city. It's located on a major road. This is a time where, a time of, uh, of humanity where there's this huge advancement in transportation, advancement in the movement of goods and services due to the Roman roads. I love how God uses just different human advancements through different times, be it roads, be it medicinal, be it education, be it in the printing press, right, to advance his cause. The movement of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. So this is at a key time where the Roman roads now allow for easier access to different parts of the world. And there was a specific road called the Via Ignatia. Via Ignatia. The city, Philippi, was, was named after Philip of Macedon. Philip of Macedon. Some of, our, some of you historians may recall that Philip of Macedon was actually the father of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had this, this, this quest to, to rule the, and conquer the known world. 
died at 25 years old. And many, many think that he actually might have done it. He was on his way. This was a bad young boy. And the city was, was named after his father. In 42 BC, it was made into a Roman colony by the first emperor of Rome, Augustus Caesar. Made into a Roman colony. colony. And the, the, the thinking, the design was they wanted it to be like a little miniature Rome. A little miniature Rome. So what Augustus did, he transported a, a large number of, of, of veteran, military veterans to Philippi. And he granted it a special status. A special status that was called a just italicum. Just, J-U-S, italicum. That's a Latin word that means just as Italy. Just as Italy. Now why is that significant? Why is that important? It was right in the middle of a dominant Greek culture. A Greek Hellenistic culture and, and where Greek law governed the, the territories. However, this one city of about 10 or so, 10 to 15,000, um, this one city was governed by Rome. What that meant is that they had certain political advantages that put them on par with Italy. Now, Rome was ruling the world at that time. So they had all kinds of advantages, and they also had this exposure to different Greek culture. Not only did they have political advantages, but, but they also had what was called a, a, an automatic citizenship for anyone who was born in that city during this time period. This was very, very valuable as they would you know, try to do business from time to time. It also, gave, it also gave them an economic advantage as they were exempt from certain taxes. They were exempt from property tax. They didn't have to pay land tax. They didn't have to pay a poll tax. A poll tax was something that every citizen was taxed an amount just because they were breathing. The Romans liked to tax you for whatever. You're walking, breathing, moving. Tax them. This was kind of what they did. And, and so, so those who were part of Philippi were even exempt from this this whole tax. So that gave them an economic advantage and it gave them a leg up. So it is, it is interesting as we look at over the next few months again, we'll look at different things that Paul is writing to this community. And it's important for us to kind of peel back some layers, give you the prequel of sorts of what's what the makeup of this community really, really is. I think it's significant. You know, when you want to, if you want to know, like, the story of Detroit, like, you got you to gotta go back some generations, right? You got to talk about the, the 60s. You got to talk about the 40s. You got to talk about the migration uh, into this city in the early 20th century, right? You got to go back even a few hundred years and, and talk about Antoine de Lamothe Cadillac and who founded the city and, and kind of what was, what was his deal? What was his makeup? How did he negotiate with the Native Americans who were here? And like, There are things that are part of this city that we can trace back to our origin. Same thing with your life. Same thing with my life. So as we look at this, this series in this book that only has four chapters, four chapters in the book of Philippians, what we're going to do, we're going to use in large part today, but also a little bit maybe in the, in the weeks ahead, we're going to use the book of Acts to help us understand the 
the immediate original audience that Paul is writing to. The immediate original audience that Paul is writing to. Now, before I do that, I've got to unpack a little bit. I don't have a whole, whole lot of time. But I want to unpack a little bit what is happening with the early church. So meet me in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And again, I wish I had more time. I don't today, but, but maybe we'll create some time in the future to dig into some of this a little more. Acts chapter 15 is known for this great disagreement that happened in the church and how the, the a council of some of the leaders kind of rose up and they begin to deal with this issue. And the issue is there are some, uh, both Jews and possibly some Gentiles who had been circumcised, they were questioning some of Paul and Barnabas' teaching that, that as they came into the faith, as a Gentile, and they were not circumcised, that they, that would not prohibit them from receiving this full gospel, from being saved. And there were some Jews that were saying, hey, Jew, Judaism was here first, then Christianity, so you got to get circumcised, you got to buy by this aspect of the law. And then some of the, some of the Gentile believers, some of the converts who had already been circumcised were like, yeah, yeah, you should get circumcised, we did it. So there's this big dispute to almost illegitimize the faith of those who, who were not yet circumcised. Throughout church history, we have these examples and time periods where certain councils would come together. And I love this, this picture of the church being led by those who are, who are in connection with one another, who are seeking the Holy Spirit together and leading the way. I was talking to my son earlier this week, and he's studying some of the councils and reminding me that there's more than just the Jerusalem council, and there's more than just the, 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 the Nicene council, right? There are different times in, in church history where the, the leaders have come together, and we see this throughout the book of Acts, where the text tells us that it, was, it seemed right to them and the Holy Spirit, See, we want to be a community. We want to be a people of faith. We say this often, and it bears repeating, that, that is the, our future, our success, or even just turning the corner is not just because Sonny or whoever had a good idea or has a certain conviction. No, we, we want to have expressed this idea of a shared leadership. And we come together and we seek the Lord and we seek the scriptures and we listen to one another. And we, we understand that we're not going to agree on every little thing, right? So we give the space to walk humbly with one another. And on the essentials, we want an agreement. But on the things that are not essential, we're willing to, to show up liberty and be patient with one another. As a, as a younger pastor, I want to thank the leaders of this church who have so graciously walked with me and allowed me to walk with you. And I know that there are things that we disagree on. I know that. And the overwhelming majority of you have remained committed, prayerful, faithful. I want to thank you. And, and we're setting the foundation for something that, if the Lord wills, will be here until the Lord Jesus returns. Now, we, we don't know that for sure. We can't say that. However, we want to be in a position to be prepared for that. And what that means is having a proper foundation built upon the scriptures. So we see here in Acts chapter 15, this council comes together and Peter has something to say. 
Yeah, Peter, surprise, right? <laughs> Peter dropped some knowledge, though. Then Paul and Barnabas, they had already been traveling on their first missionary journey. They have something to say about this, uh, this, this issue of, of circumcision. And then James steps up. James, the brother of Jesus, that James. James, the apostle of Jerusalem, that James says, man and brethren. And he begins to, to preach, really. And, and they come to this, this conclusion among themselves. And, and he wants them to know that they must, they, must, they must preach the gospel in a way so that the Gentiles know that yes, Moses is to be read and Moses is to be respected, right? But we want to be sensitive to the cultures that God is calling us to take the gospel to. What that means is we don't want to put on them more burden than the Holy Spirit has put up on us or that the scriptures put up on us. So he he. He basically tells them, he makes this decision after, hear, after hearing everyone else, that they're going to write this letter together. And they're going to disperse this letter throughout the region to all the churches. And we're going to read, we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 15, verse 23. And it says, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who, not that Judas, it's another Judas, not that Judas, Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So what is he saying? He's saying this, here's this letter, right, that we've just had this great meeting, we've made some decisions that are going to help uh, the church be steered to a place of health, but also we're sending Judas and Silas, and they're going to also confirm by word of mouth, not just words written on a paper. In verse 28, here it is, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Number one, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> That's it. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and to the point. And verse 30 says, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. So get this. This is, the, this is Antioch. This is a Gentile church plant, a Gentile congregation, and they had been hearing that they may not qualify to, to be in the faith. They didn't qualify from salvation because some guys came down who looked really smart and who looked like they had all the answers tell, told them that they needed to be circumcised in order for them to be invited into the faith. They, well, there goes belonging before you believe, right? <laughs> right. Well, no, there was no belonging there, right? They, did, they had to check. And if you, you didn't take care of business, then you cannot be a part. So here they have this letter that's saying, no, that's trash. That's not what God is saying. Now, we do have some things that we want you to do. And he gives them, they give them four things that they, they lay up on them. And these things were not doctrinal per se. They were practical in how they would have lived their lives because I believe 
along with many other commentators and theologians, that these things that they put in place were for fellowship reasons, for practical reasons, not necessarily for doctrinal reasons. And again, he gives them these, these four reasons that I won't unpack totally right now, but the first one was uh, 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 blood being sacrificed to, food being sacrificed to idols, blood uh, from what has been strangled, and then sexual immorality. So this had to do with this pagan idea and response to, to worship. There were pagan gods, pagan temples all around. This was a big part, a huge part of the culture that they were in, in many of the Greek cities. So they wanted the believers to know, hey, listen, yeah, there's some practical things that we want to help you steer from trouble down the road. So abstain from these things. But when it comes to circumcision, you're good. Paul later goes on to inform the, the churches. And we'll, we're going to be in the book of Galatians later on this year, y'all. A preview of coming attraction. And the book of Galatians is, is another beast with Paul, uh, by the Spirit of God, the, the, the divine author, wants us to know what the right gospel is. See, when you add anything to the gospel, meaning Jesus plus this, Jesus plus, you know, physical health, plus prosperity, plus whatever, speaking in tongues, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel at all. Matter of fact, it's, a, it's been perverted. It's a perversion of truth. So, so they want them to know, like, oh, you don't have to do all of those things. You simply repent, believe, repent, and get baptized. And this is what we see happening as they go throughout these, these, these cities in this area, and they take this letter, and they take this message by word of mouth, and God begins to move. This is like the official welcome. And notice here what it, what it says, that they rejoice. So it wasn't like they heard, oh man, sexual immorality, we had to abstain for that. No, they rejoiced. This was something that, that was a cause for them to celebrate. So this would not have been a surprise to them. Mm. Again, these are matters not for condition of salvation. These four things that they gave them, uh, these, these, were, these were points of wisdom, practical points that would help them navigate the culture around them. Now, as we look at the book of Acts, I just want you to keep in mind that this is not just the Acts of the Apostles, right? This, this, this isn't a recording of the Acts of some great dudes, the followers of Jesus, early leaders of the church. These are the Acts of Holy Spirit. These are the Acts of Holy Spirit. Yeah, the one who indwells you right now. If he was to write a letter... If he was to write a book, a historic book, on the church of Detroit, or even Detroit church, I wonder what it would look like. <laughs> As we get ready to move to another location, our 7th, 8th location, if you include pop-up church, maybe it's like 12, 13. We did a summer in 2017 when we went around like the five or six different locations. I've lost count, <laughs> right? But I wonder what it would say about us as Holy Spirit is the one scribing as he's the one designing and charting the course that is ahead of us. Well, the book of Acts is the Acts of Holy Spirit. Now, my time, I got so much to cover, and, and I, just, I need you to bear with me today and just kind of settle in, and let's, 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 let's get into what the Lord has to say to us through his word. The next portion of scripture we're going to read here in Acts 15, verse 36 to 40, there's a dispute. So it's, there's like this great uh, uh, council meeting and agreement they have like, they feel like Holy Spirit is speaking. They have unity. 
Paul, uh, Judas and, and, and Silas go out. They take the letter. They start dispersing the letter. That's going out. And then we see there's a dispute. And I don't have time to read the whole passage like I was. But the dispute basically was Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, Mark. And Paul had second thoughts. And very strong second thoughts. Because during the first missionary journey, Mark, or John Mark, Mark as he's called, left the trip early. And Barnabas, is his name means encourager, son of encouragement. So he wants to maybe give him a second chance. And Paul is like, bro, it's too much. Like the stakes are too high. No, he had his chance. I got somebody else who can roll. No, sir. And the Bible says they get into a pretty sharp dispute. This word there in the Greek could mean even a violent kind of a response to one another. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. Not after we just saw this tremendous display of unity. So they get into this disagreement, this argument, because Barnabas wants to take his nephew, and Paul is like, no, what, what, like, what, what do we make of this? Let's remember, first of all, that these are men. These are men, not angels, okay? They aren't like, they aren't uh, to be idolized in a sense like they are above reproach. These are men who are like us, maturing in the faith. Now, I don't mean to disrespect them, but dishonor them. These are some weighty brothers. <laughs> weighty God has used them tremendously in the, in the launch of his church, right? But these are humans. They were flawed humans. If you have come to Detroit Church with this ideal of how church should be, of the kind of church Detroit needs. We talk about it all the time. What must the church be? What can the church be? What kind of church does Detroit need? Maybe you came from a church that there were a lot of things you loved about it. But there were a couple things that you wish were different. Then you come to Detroit church and then you say, oh, the things I thought were different, they're doing great. They're killing it. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, sooner or later, if you haven't already noticed it, you're going to come to a, a few things that we are not killing it in. Right? And we got to be careful that we don't have this idealized idea of church, this idealized vision of what church is. Because what happens, it actually can turn into lust, into an idol. And we make our churches, our pastors, our leaders, our apostles, our bishops, whatever, we elevate them to a status that should only be reserved for the Lord Jesus. Mm. There's no perfect pastor out there. There is no perfect leader out there. You will encounter relational challenges as you are on your journey following Jesus with other Christians. I'm going to say it again. You will encounter. If you have not already, hang around. You will encounter relational challenges with other believers while doing God's work. So we must walk humbly and graciously before God and with one another. But we can also be encouraged here as, as they uh, have this dispute and they really go their separate ways. They end up coming back together a little later on. Not only that, God sovereignly moves in the midst of their dispute. So now instead of just one missionary team going out, now there's two. Because Barnabas takes Mark and Paul takes Silas. Uh, now, let me just be clear. This doesn't mean because God moves sovereignly in it that your disputes are a divine thing, right? It doesn't mean that they're justified. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we can just complain or raise up an issue with somebody just because they dis we disagree with them. It does not mean that at all. But what it does mean is that God moves through all sorts of our issues to advance his cause. He can bring about growth. 
and advancement, even through separation and division. So they go in separate ways. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. In Acts 16, 1, what we see is a new young man joining the team. Verse 1 says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now hold up now. We just read about the great disagreement and the dispute, not between Paul and Barnabas, but the one about the issues of circumcision. Those who were of the circumcision, the scriptures say, they wanted to put the the uh, they wanted to put this this strain on every Gentile belief that you had to get circumcised. And Paul was vehemently against it. But you mean to tell me now that Paul is now advocating and encouraging and carrying out? It looks like. Timothy to be circumcised. What is going on here? Paul knows that Timothy as a, a half uh, Jew and half Greek, and according to the, the Jewish law, the rabbinical law, those who had a Jewish mom would still be looked at as Jewish. So as God would move, as Holy Spirit would, would send them along in their journeys, they would go in certain synagogues, Timothy would be undermined as a Jew in their eyes, according to their law, although he was a quote-unquote half-breed, he would be undermined because he wasn't circumcised. Paul knew that. Get this. It was less about the actual thing, but more about the advancement of the gospel. There are many times the Holy Spirit will ask, will lead us to do something or to go a certain way. Or to maybe even, if it's not sinful, to embrace a certain aspect of the culture so that the gospel can be advanced. That's the point. See, God is sending different ones of us to different aspects of the culture, different aspects of society. And there are things that you may have to embrace. Again, not talking about sin, all right? There are things that we must reject. But there are some things that we can embrace. Maybe if God is sending you to a Muslim community, maybe you have to sit on the ground with your legs folded to chop it up with them a little bit, right? Or maybe you have to put a head covering on, you know, just to have a conversation with them. Maybe you have to throw on a yarmulke if you're going to be in West Bloomfield or, or Oak Park or in a Jewish community so as not to offend. See, the, the, the right gospel, while it brings freedom, it also assaults some of our, our, our perceptions about God. And about ourselves. So, so let's allow the gospel to do what it does and be offensive as it needs to. Let's not add to the offense. And this is what Paul wants to make sure here. Moving along, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Who was the Spirit of Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Now get this, y'all. <laughs> now, I didn't read this portion, but back in verse 4 and 5, uh, when, when Timothy was added to the team, they began to go to city, to city, to city, and they saw a great increase. Like the Holy Spirit began to move, churches were being strengthened, people were, were, were like growing, people were coming into the faith, and then they're like, okay, this is, this, is, this is banging, God is moving, and they wanted to go into Asia, 
right? Now, we don't know if, if what they meant by Asia is not, uh, is, more than likely, it's not what we mean by Asia today because those lines between Europe and Asia had not yet been created, right? So we're going to be careful there to, to, make, to draw certain assumptions. However, Paul and his team had it on his mind that they needed to take the gospel there. Like, it made practical sense. It made a lot of sense. However, <laughs> Holy Spirit said no. Like, how do you respond to a divine no? <laughs> when you have something in your heart to do, when you've prepared, when you've planned, remember, Paul first got this idea to, to go back and revisit some of the cities that they went to on the first trip to kind of see how they were doing. And as they're going along the way, there are different things that begin to happen that were not a part of the journey. Different things that begin to occur that were unexpected. And it says specifically that the Holy Spirit forbid them from speaking a word. Now, get this. Luke here describes this verse, or this trip, so to speak, just a couple verses. But this is more than likely about three, two to three months. This trip here that they're on this leg of the journey is about 785 miles. So they may have walked like Paul, likely walked about 15 to 20 miles a day. And they would stay in, in homes if they had friends in a certain town. They would camp outside sometimes. Sometimes they had the money, they would stay in an inn. Sometimes they were in very dangerous environments. But this was something that, that they were committed to, to take, to advance the gospel. And, 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 and somewhere along the lines, in Paul's heart, he's like, we got to go to Asia. Like, God is moving. This makes a lot of sense. Until Holy Spirit said no. Now, how did Holy Spirit say no to them? Like, the text just doesn't tell us that. We don't know. Maybe it was a washed out bridge along the way that they... They couldn't pass. Maybe it was other transportational limitations. Paul had a custom of going into a synagogue when he went into a new town. Maybe there are no synagogues to preach in. Who knows? Maybe the money ran out. Listen, like that is a real sign. Like sometimes when the money runs out, you don't need to be rebuking the devil. <laughs> you just say, yes, Lord. Because when God gives a vision, he gives the provision, right? So sometimes it's just a matter of paying attention, y'all. The things that Holy Spirit is doing. He could have gave them a dream or vision to say, don't go. We don't really know that. Maybe it was something internally. Maybe, maybe, maybe Paul began to sense something. Like maybe he began to sense a prompting by the Holy Spirit that this is a direction that we shouldn't go in. Perhaps somebody on the team got sick. Maybe it was a sickness. We don't know. All we know is that it was blocked. What I want to encourage us in this moment is to, to live such an elevated life of faith to where we literally have heaven's mentality. We are operating on, a, on another level. This, is not, this doesn't mean we're better than anybody, right? But, but we're taking our P's and Q's from heaven, our prompts from heaven. And as things happen, many times if we're not careful, if we're not walking in this, this higher heaven's mentality, if you will, then we'll start to complain. Or our religious... Spidey senses to kick in, and we start re rebuking the devil. We want to prophesy to the door. Door open in the name of Jesus. We call, start calling money, money coming. Start doing all these things, right? And God is the one who has dried it up. Holy Spirit is the one who has closed the door. So please hear this. He opens doors, and he closes doors. 
This should be an expected part of the journey. The journey is unexpected, right? Many aspects of the journey is unexpected, but we should expect doors that will be opened, doors that will be closed. Ah, so Mark is saying, I'm going to move along. Then something happens. Paul gets this vision. Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's go. Let's go. Paul had one thing in his heart, one thing in his mind. He gets this vision. And they don't mull over the vision. It doesn't take a long time for them to figure out. It says, hey, they got the vision. Immediately, he says, we sought out. Now, this is, this is Luke writing this. So apparently Luke has caught up with them because previously uh, he, didn't, he didn't speak in, the, in, the, uh, in this person, right? So apparently Luke is with them. We know it's Paul. We know it's Silas. We know it's Timothy. And they, Paul gets his vision. They respond immediately. We don't, hope, we don't have a lot of information about this. We don't know who this man was in the vision that Paul got. All we know that he was saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Because of some other extra biblical writings, early church writings, there are some even who believe that the man that Paul saw in his vision was Alexander the Great. Can't confirm that? Have no idea. And that's honestly not even as important. What we know is that Holy Spirit has partnered with them in the journey. He doesn't just start something and leave us to figure it out on our own. He's with them along the way. And sometimes he's opening doors, sometimes he's closing doors, sometimes he's giving a vision. So Paul has this vision. And God doesn't give him, Holy Spirit doesn't give him the whole journey. It's just a man saying, hey, come this way. So they say, amen. This is what they do. They trust and they go. Holy Spirit is leading the way. Detroit Church, please hear this. Holy Spirit must lead our way. Holy Spirit, we just pause right now and we tune our hearts to you. We say, yes, will you show us your way? Would you lead us? Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for murmuring, God. Forgive us for being frustrated when things aren't working out, how we expect them, God. God, forgive us for complaining when, when we know that if we're going to go over here, there's going to be a little bit more work for us. Forgive us for complaining when we don't have enough people to help carry the load. Allow our hearts, God, not to, not to become dry or even to doubt you. May we forever be committed, deeply committed and surrendered to your leadership. Now, what we see here in Acts, to be sure, is descriptive and not prescriptive. It is descriptive and not prescriptive. What I mean by that is Holy Spirit is not going to give you a vision every time he wants you to do it because this is what happened to Paul. No, no. But we do have an example of how God can move and he chooses to move. In a variety of ways. Let me encourage you. I want to give you four ways that the Holy Spirit leads. Four ways of Holy Spirit leadership. The first one, Holy Spirit leads. Like I mentioned before, Holy Spirit leads us through both closed doors and open doors. He leads us through both closed doors and open doors. God blocked Paul and his crew from going to Asia. But he appealed to them through a vision to go another direction. Holy Spirit leads in both of those ways. Sometimes we look at open doors as promotions and closed doors either as a setback 
or God just saying not yet. But I want to encourage you that it's a promotion for you to hear from the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And for us to have any level of reception to him and to receive that and surrender to that, that's advancement, that's growth. Amen? So he speaks to us in ways that sometimes restrains us, sometimes it prompts us. Sometimes he prevents us, sometimes he permits us. But this is all a part of how Holy Spirit leads. The second one, Holy Spirit's leadership isn't just circumstantial, it's also prudent. It's also prudent. We see Paul and his team thinking over certain matters as this text here gives us an example. It's not just like guesswork, but it's using godly wisdom. The, the, the verb here translated concluding in verse 10, it carries this, this idea of like putting together a complex puzzle. Putting together a puzzle. What that means is like they were gathering information and drawing a conclusion based upon wisdom, not just a whim. So Holy Spirit speaks to that way as well. Number three, Holy Spirit's leadership is personal and communal. It's personal and communal. I love how Holy Spirit speaks to Paul personally through this vision, right? But then the team responds, they hear it, they agree. Even previously we read about, it seemed right to Holy Spirit and to them. So there was this commitment to one another. And number four, Holy Spirit's leadership often comes gradually and even unpredictably. Often comes gradually and even unpredictably. They don't, he doesn't often, I would even say most times, doesn't give us the whole picture. He doesn't chart the whole course for us, but he wants us to learn to trust him one step at a time. Winding down here. This is really the crux of our text. All that was kind of setting up the setup. This next part here sets up Philippians. Acts chapter 16. The call to Macedonia, this man in the vision, maybe Alexander the Great, who knows, maybe just nobody in particular. He's motioning them over to Macedonia. Now get this. This leg of the journey is the first recorded time that the gospel seed was planted in Europe. In all of Europe the first time. There are many people who would have you to believe that, that the Bible is a white man's book. Or that the gospel is a white man's religion. We see a few chapters previously how Holy Spirit sends a guy named Philip. Like supernaturally to an Ethiopian eunuch. Who is the first Gentile to receive the gospel. He takes that back to the continent of Africa. That happens in Acts chapter 8, right? So here in Acts chapter 16, now Europe is finally getting this gospel. And a new church is planted. Verse 11 says, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, And the following days to Neapolis. Man, I love this. Ooh. This is so good, y'all. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. What? What? Hey, y'all. Uh, something happens when the women come together. I ain't talking about coming together, just having a good time, talking, polishing their nails. It says these women came together for a place of prayer. Now, dig this. As we discussed, Paul normally went into a synagogue when he went to a new town. Here, it is supposed by many commentaries that 
There was no synagogue. According to rabbinic law, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men for there to be a legit synagogue. So, just outside the synagogue, just outside the city gates, there was this, this supposed place of prayer by the rivers where the women were gathered. <laughs> and they're praying. Listen, I just want to shout out all the women of God. All the women who are intercessors, all the women who are faithful and devoted in their praying, whether it's in the corporate setting, whether it's in your own private time, or both. We need both. Amen. I want to thank you. You know, I feel to a large extent I am who I am because I had a praying grandmother, a praying great-grandmother, a praying mom, and now a praying wife. And that's a lethal combo right there. <laughs> that's a lethal combo. Oh, oh. Man, let me move on. There's so much more to cover here. Uh, so, so it's the Sabbath day. They go out to the river and they see these women praying. And Paul begins to speak to them. Paul and his team speaks to them. What we see here, y'all, is the first church in Europe being formed. The first church, in, this is almost like Paul's launch team, right? To speak in modern day church plant language. This is the launch team. They're out by the river. They're praying. Paul comes. Paul starts to speak to them. Paul starts to preach the gospel. Verse 14 says, and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyteria. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now get this. In the Greek here, the phrase a worshiper of God does not mean she was a follower of Jesus. It means that she was a devoted one. What that means is she was a Gentile whose heart was susceptible for what God wanted to do. She was seeking. She was searching. Her heart was wide open. But she was not yet a follower this woman, as a seller of purple goods, was wealthy. She was a wealthy businesswoman. Shout out to the women out there who are entrepreneurs and businesswomen. Like, we, what's up with Detroit Women League, man? Where y'all at? Yo, this is amazing. Now, let me just say this as I'm going to try to wind down this message here. What we see in this early church plan, at least what we see Luke calling out, we're going to talk about three converts. Now, there was more than three converts we were supposed here in, um, in, in this uh, early development of the church. But there are three that Luke very intentionally wants us to pay attention to. Because it sees how Holy Spirit is, is moving and how he directs Paul and his team to move among different people groups. This woman, Lydia, was was wealthy. She would service those who were, who were probably royalty, or those who had the financial means and, and who wanted to be decked out in the finest gear. No, I don't know. Today she might sell you know, Gucci or maybe sell Ye's. Maybe she was like, a, she should be a sneaker dealer, like the high-end joint store. You know what I'm saying? Like she, she had bread. And her heart, though, was also open to God. Paul later on tells Timothy, like, yo, like, let the people who are wealthy know that it can be more difficult. Like, they got to be careful to keep their wealth and their material possessions in check. And this appears to be a woman who had that in check. We'll also discover throughout, throughout this series how Paul is so grateful for them, uh, the Philippian church, because of the money that they sent him. 
I think it's pretty safe to assume that Lydia was a big part of that. She is who is called out as a wealthy woman here among this early church. And verse 15 says, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Wow, wow. So she gets born again. She gets baptized. They, baptized. they baptize her immediately as well as her household. This is what we see happening in the early church. We see it in Acts chapter, uh, I think it's Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, with Cornelius, oh, let me first Corinthians, I'm sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me check that and get back with you. But we see God moving, not just with the Ethiopian eunuch, but we see him moving with Cornelius, who was a Gentile man, who, who hears the message. And because Peter comes to him, and Peter, Peter, uh, Lays aside some of his biases, responds to the Holy Spirit. This man not only gets saved, but his entire household is also saved. We see it again with Lydia. Not only is she brought into the faith, but her entire household as well. Verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart. It wasn't Paul's fancy preaching. It wasn't because she was so impressed with the team. Maybe she it wasn't because she felt bad because, you know, they, they had been traveling for a while and they needed, you know, some comforting. No! The Lord opened her heart. Listen, family, as we are sent by God, our responsibility is to say what he told us to say. His responsibility is to open the eyes and open the hearts. Period. So you don't have to worry about what am I going to say, what they're going to think. Let God handle the stuff he's supposed to handle. Amen? That's important. Because your, your Lydia is awaiting you. Mm, she's awaiting you. Some of us may feel intimidated because God has placed us in a circle with people who have financial means. Listen, I, you, we have no burden to impress people with anything. We have a burden to love them and give them the gospel. The pure, unadulterated gospel. This is the maturity and the faithfulness that we see Paul walking in. I got to move on because of time. In verse uh, 16, we see a transition to another convert. Very different from Lydia, the wealthy woman. In verse 16 says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now get this. Was she saying, was, was anything she saying, what she was saying, is that off? <laughs> no, she was actually very right. She was speaking the truth. But it says that as she kept doing it over and over and over again for many days, Paul became annoyed. <laughs> Paul became greatly annoyed. And then he turned to her and said to the spirit, notice Paul recognizes what's at work here. Paul recognizing who he is talking to. He wasn't talking disrespectful to a girl. He's annoyed at the spirit. He turns around and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Simple. Right? He doesn't go into all this, you know, hype or hysteria. I command you, he points at her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Glory to God. That's where the power is, in the name of Jesus Christ. We got to recognize that family. But when her owners saw her, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So this is what's happening here. There are these, these handlers of this young woman. They were men who were taking advantage 
of a woman. Go figure. <laughs> they were taking advantage of her, using her for their own profit. This was a young woman who was a slave. She was not only oppressed socially and culturally, but she was possessed demonically. Luke very intentionally wants us to see the contrast here between the wealthy woman and Lydia and this slave young woman who was demon-possessed and who was a slave. Listen, the gospel stretches far and wide. It reaches high and low. I don't care what your story is, what your background is, yo. The gospel is present and it's here for you. And he wants us to know that this is the start of this first European church, the church of Philippi. Ah, these men were abusing her, using her for gain. They're upset when she gets delivered because they were profiting from her bondage. See, your deliverance is going to cost some people. Yeah, that's right. Your freedom is going to cost some people who have the wrong spirit and is operating in a way to take advantage of you. And this is the freedom that we have in the gospel. Now, I, I say that, I hope that we can understand what happens next doesn't sound like freedom. What happens next, actually, in the natural, based upon the circumstances, is the very opposite of freedom. What that means is these guys, these men, who were promoting her and using her, taking advantage of her, they get upset because she's delivered. They tell lies on Paul and his team. Paul and, Paul and his team, they get thrown into jail. They're in chains. They don't, get, they don't just get thrown into jail. They get beaten. This brings us to the third and final convert that we see in this city that God is starting this new community of faith. And it's a Philippian jailer. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a minute. They're singing and they're praying? Now, I didn't read this, but please take note. They had just been beaten and they're in a dark cell. Okay? They're not crying, what was me? They're not trying to figure out their escape. Paul has legal means as a Roman citizen to cry foul to this whole situation. He's not plotting his, his, his legal way out. What he's doing first and foremost, he's praying and he's praising. Listen, we're going to read this. But I pray that as people of God, as citizens of heaven, when we experience some of the most difficult things in our lives, that our first response would be a response that is geared towards heaven. Yeah. A response that receives the exchange, a divine exchange that can only come from shifting our gaze, that can only come from praising and praying. That's right. That's right. I have a friend who called me this week. I won't, I won't say their name. I won't call them out. But we had a, an interesting uh, text earlier in the week. And they were going through a very... Very difficult time, very justified difficult time at their job. And something that went on, I can't, I won't get into, but something that went on was not only inappropriate, but flat out disgusting. Flat out disgusting. And they had grounds to, to leave the job immediately. Right? They had grounds to, to address the, 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 the leadership in that organization. And when they text me, I've been in Philippians. <laughs> And I've been praying. And what came out was simply, like, where is God in this? 
and I, 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 I had a quick thought as I was texting back, like I don't want to, I didn't want to come across as insensitive, right? Um, but I wanted to encourage them, and and and, and, and so the text, the first text exchange early in the week was a little, it was a little tense, it was a little interesting. I got another text yesterday, and they basically called, text me, repenting, saying, "Listen." My mind was in the wrong place. I want to thank you. I was leaving. I put my resignation in. I was leaving that job. God began to work on my heart, and He began to move, and He gave me new understanding and new direction. When I wanted to leave, God says, "No, you need to stay." See, I know that we are in a time period where there's a lot of talk about toxicity, and we should talk about toxicity, right? We should understand the impact of abuse, right? Mental abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, and all of those things, but we cannot do it outside of the scope of the gospel and outside of the scope of how Holy Spirit many times desires to move even in toxic environments. What if God moved all, the, all of his people from all the toxic environments? Then what? then what hope do they have? See, this life does not belong to us. This life is not ours. And what Paul, what we see Paul experiencing here is the grace of God, Holy Spirit leading them through great opportunity, but also through very difficult moments. So how they respond in this moment of beating and oppression and being lied on. They pray and they praise. The Bible says that the prisoners were listening to them. In verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cries out to him. See, Paul was operating under a different jurisdiction of freedom. He had a different idea about freedom, right? See, he was never in chains. Like he understood that the, that the physical chains that were rubbing against his leg, that was causing soreness. I'm sure about that by now. His, his legs were tender. His ankles were tender because these, these chains were, were meant to saw away and rub away at your skin. After already being beaten, they couldn't lay down on their backs. But Paul didn't have none of that in mind. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to go through some physical torment, but I can't promise you you won't. The point is how are we responding to Holy Spirit at any given moment? So this, this jailer, he's, he's about to kill himself because he's like, I'm, they're going to kill me anyway. The prisoners are gone. He supposed, the Bible says that, that Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Why does he fall down? What's going on? How does he, how does he suppose what is happening? He'd been listening, listening to them pray and sing all night. Oh! Like what? What's in your mouth? What's in your mouth? What are you praying? What are you singing? Is it a song of distress? Is it a song of, of, of complaining and murmuring? Is it a song of gossip? Are we cursing the situation? Because our, our, we are, we're speaking the wrong language? 
See, as people of God, there's life in our words, right? And there's, there's hope in our words. And all we are to do is to obey him, shift our gaze out of him, speak of his goodness, speak of his blessing, pray and praise, and allow God to move in the supernatural. This is exactly what happens here. Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household again, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. This was the man that had just beat them. Now he's washing their wounds. Now he's a member of the faith. Like this, this is Paul's story as well. Remember Paul before he was the great apostle Paul, the great missionary Paul. He was the, 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 a man to be feared, the murderer Saul. And God has sent him to the same people, many of those same people in communities that he had once terrorized. This is what the gospel does. It neutralizes our pain. It, it tells a different story. Family, if we are going to embrace a robust gospel, not a thin gospel, a robust gospel, we must understand that all that God wants to do through us, not just through blessing and open doors, but through times of challenge, times of difficulty. Uh, I'm closing. Verse 35, but, it would, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to you, have, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. See, see Paul knew where to start, right? But he also knew his stuff, <laughs> right? He, he's, he started with his primary focus upwardly in prayer and in praising. But Paul wasn't no fool either. He knew that he had some, some legal rights being a Roman citizen. Verse 38 says, The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they go out and leave the city. Verse 40 says, So when they went out of the prison, they visited Lydia. And when they seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is how the Philippian church started. A wealthy woman, an oppressed, demon-possessed young lady, and an indifferent jailman. As we read the next four chapters over the next three months, I pray that we can read this in the light of this new community that Holy Spirit is forming. Paul, along the journey, ends up in Rome. We can't, I won't go into detail now as I'm closing here. Paul, some 10 years later, ends up in Rome in prison again. <sighs> Paul's a bad boy. And this, this type of prisoner was a house arrest. And he's writing. He writes not only to the, the Philippian church. church uh, he writes the Colossian church. Uh, he writes uh, Philemon. And um, in, his, in this writing, he's, he's expressing gratitude to this church who had been moved to send him money. They sent him money. And he's responding. There's a young man in the church named Epaphroditus. They send Epaphroditus to come see Paul as he's in Rome for these two years under house arrest. Epaphroditus takes a gift to Paul, more money, but he also receives this letter and he goes back. He 
he goes back to Philippi with this letter. And he reads in the synagogue and the places where they gathered. Verse 3 again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. For you are making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I close with this. Let this minister to you today. And I am sure of this. That he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, you not only call us with your grace, you not only initiate the work of grace within us, but you sustain us for the journey. God, may we have confidence, full trust as Paul had as he spoke and wrote to this Philippian church. Let us have that same confidence in the leadership of Holy Spirit. That you, by your grace, who have started the work in us, both individually and as a community, you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.